What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 162, you heard it right, episode 162 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple podcast at rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court and share this episode with a friend we would greatly appreciate it here at Combo's Court. Today's show, Jay Hernandez, who is an assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, joins in. We discuss Jay's playing career, working for Michael Jordan, skill development, and so much more. You could find Jay on Instagram at Coach Jay Hernandez. That's C-O-A-C-H-J-A-Y-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. You know you could find me on Instagram at one two combo that's o-n-e-t-w-o-c-o-m-b-o intro music by luca beats let's get into it Hernandez, Charlotte Hornets assistant coach. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How are you feeling? I feel great, man. I appreciate you having me on here. How's the quarantine going? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been different. Obviously, we didn't know how long we were going to be in this in this state. And, um, you know, just after a while, you just start figuring out, you know, how your days are going to be. And, you know, your family gets used to having you around when you're supposed to be in season. And, you know, right. uh, just trying to figure out a, what kind of routine, what a, what a routine looks like during this time where you can't go out and you're stuck at home all day. So, uh, you know, just been working on a lot of self-improvement projects, uh, enjoying some time with the family. My wife has me working out more than I'd like to be working out at this point in time. But uh, What kind of workouts are you guys getting into? She's got me running. So, uh, you know. Long distance? Uh, trying, yeah. Which she's trying to build up to like a 10K. So, uh, out of nowhere, I'm not a guy who likes to run more than a mile. So, we've been, we've been getting a few miles in, you know, every day and come back and do some weights and you know we have we have a peloton so we'll get after that as well you know from time to time so just a little bit of everything you know mixing it up we did some cardio kickboxing the other day and that's uh the good thing is like you know a lot of people doing doing lives now and you get to kind of see what everybody's got going so uh we've been fortunate to jump on some pretty cool ones right first and foremost before you ever started pro hoops before the charlotte hornets you were a basketball player yourself um, yeah i did yeah <laughs> t- take us through that journey man yeah, so, uh, you know, I was just a, a typical kid, I, you know, that, that loved hoops. My father played 13 years uh, professionally in Puerto Rico. And, uh, you know, we actually moved there from the time I was about two till about seven. Uh, he qualified for the Olympics and, um, you know, was a, was a guard, point guard on, on that roster. And unfortunately, it was the year of the boycott, so he didn't get to participate. Um, so, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that... Uh, you know, I, I grew up admiring, you know, big role model and uh, can remember him playing professionally at about seven years old. You know, I still have vivid memories of, of him competing. And, uh, you know, he was the first guy that I, I really wanted to beat him one on one, you know, and I finally got him at 16 years old. Uh, he could still hoop, you know, and uh, it was a tough. How battle. old was he when you were 16? Whew, uh, he just turned 65 today. So uh, happy birthday, Pop. Uh, you happy know, birthday. Happy yeah. birthday. Yeah. He was probably uh, 35 at the time. Okay, so, so you, uh, I mean, he wasn't too far out of his prime, but you, no, you yeah, he was, he was still, still hooping, so, uh, yeah. you know, okay. so it was, that was exciting for you, for sure. Yeah, you know, it was, it was great, you know, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, 
Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm lying. My math is bad. I went to Hofstra, so I apologize. Yeah, he was probably around uh, 38 at the time. My fault. Okay. But okay. Um, yeah, so he was, he was still, he's, he could still hoop. And, uh, you know, I played at a place called St. Dominic High School in Long Island, which produced uh, just a lot of good coaches and players over the years. It, it had a reputation at the time, uh, you know, for one of the better Catholic schools in, in the area. So we, we got to compete against the best of the best in terms of our, you know, off-season schedule, I guess, uh, you know, uh, non-league schedule against Christ the King and uh, played against Lamar Odom and Speedy Claxton and company when they were there, you know, uh, you know, played against the likes of like LaSalle with Sham God and, and Rice and, you know, all those teams. So right. it, was, it was every year we competed and, and, you know, we had a chance to compete against the teams in Long Island who were really talented as well. St. Mary's over the years has become a powerhouse there with Danny Green and company. But, Definitely. Um, you know, Rick Pitino, uh, Jimmy Christian, you know, is now at BC, you know, Ralph Willard and, and a lot of those guys coached there went there. So, uh, you know, my buddy, Jimmy Moran, who I played with is now an assistant with the Portland Trailblazers. So it's just got a good pedigree in terms of basketball people that came through. Um, and then, you know, like most, I was looking to try to get a division one scholarship. I had, uh, probably over 20, 20 offers, uh, mostly low to mid majors and, you know, like San Diego and Davidson and, and, and those kinds. And I ended up picking university of New Hampshire, um, because they played a local, schedule you know we were Hartford uh, Boston University Northeastern Drexel Delaware Hofstra so I figured my family could see me play a lot and uh, at that point in time I knew I had a good chance of starting they had built a new arena so there was a lot of excitement you know about going to University of New Hampshire but I, I came to realize it was a hockey school <laughs> you know when I got there um, you know they were sold out for hockey and it was crickets for basketball so um, you know I quickly saw what, what Jay Wright was doing at Hofstra you know, he had some talented guys that I, I had played against for years. And I was like, damn, these guys are going to be really, really good. You know, they were like an upstart team that I don't know if many people were taking them seriously at that time. But um, I knew what they had. And, you know, I decided to go back home, transfer back to Hofstra. And probably the best decision I made, you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, playing for a Hall of Fame coach, playing with two NBA guys on that roster with Norman Richardson and Speedy Claxton. Um, and then we had a chance to go postseason NIT, you know, two NCAA tournaments and, uh, you know, just really fortunate to be a part of that. So it was it was a great experience. I got the chance while I was in college uh, to uh, play in Puerto Rico. So, you know, in 1998, I was playing professionally while I was in college. I feel like Puerto I feel like Puerto Rico is an underrated league because yeah. it's not during the European season. I think that's part of the reason, but I always felt like it was underrated. Yeah, I mean, guard play, phenomenal, you know, like yeah. over the years, like all the, you know, Carlos Arroyos and, right. you know. Uh, but even the imports are good that they yes, bring. Yes, yeah. You know? Well, yeah, all the guys that I played with were, were phenomenal, you know, all major, major Division One. you know, they played Division right. I Euro League, and they would come there, and it was just like, you know, they got to hang out. It was one, you know, a couple games, but, you know, practices weren't that heavy. They got to hang on the beach, you know, from April yeah. to August. And so, yeah, it was really competitive. And it was, it was funny because, you know, Carmelo Travieso and Edgar Padilla, when they were playing with Marcus Camby, were a Puerto Rican backcourt that were playing in that league all the years that they were in college. And I think, you know, that started to stir some, yeah. some things, right? That's it, interesting. Yeah. It was the last, and I did the same thing. In 1998, I was playing there, and it was the last professional league that you could technically play in while still in college, you know. So it was a really weird setup. So I was playing pro ball. You know, not so they were pay they were they were paying, and you were still no, in college. We weren't getting paid, but you gotcha. know, it was a um, we were still playing against all the D one professionals, so it like really shouldn't right. have been happening. So they changed that rule, you know, yeah. once I got out of college. 
In Europe, it's kind of like that still because you got yeah. like you might have like two seventeen-year-olds at the end of the bench that might not get paid and they could still go to college. So exactly, yeah, you know? yeah. So I, I just in terms of trying to figure that out, it was for me it was a great experience. I mean, I, I got to play against grown men. I got got to see what it was like to have like you know ice cubes and batteries being thrown on the court after games, and you know it was a scary yeah. time at times. But uh, I just learned a lot, and you know I got to go back and play while I was going for my master's. I got a dual. I have a dual MBA in marketing and management. I was going wow. for my MBA and traveling there on like Tuesday nights and coming back on Sundays uh, just to kind of keep working on my master's and play at the same time. And I, my, my thing was like, I loved playing, but you know, I was looking for guaranteed money. I had a family young, you know, I got married to my high school sweetheart. And uh, my big thing was like, all right, I'm gonna use this athletics and I'm going to use the basketball, you know, I, I, as well as the education to get me, you know, up the corporate ladder as fast as possible and make as much money right. as I can. So um, you know, that was kind of my, my train, train of thought. And I stopped playing at that point in time and got a job in, you know, admissions with our school. And then I got into pharmaceutical sales for about two years. So um, during that time, I was training. I was training in 1998, you know, uh, at, a, at a gym called Island Garden in West Hempstead. My father was the first trainer there. And uh, I started working with kids and eventually I got my own kids and I was doing that throughout college. But when I got my uh, a real job and I was working in pharmaceutical sales. I was actually doing more of the, you know, basketball training than I was my real job. So I talked to my wife. I said, listen, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I want to quit. You know, I, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I want to train. I want, when people ask me who I am, I want to tell them I'm a basketball trainer. Right. And, uh, luckily, and that's before that was a thing. It was, yeah. I mean, 1998, there was like, there was like nobody in, in New York, especially it was, um, you, you'll appreciate this. All the players in New York city and in and, and that area were, like, why would I pay to train? I'm already nice. You know, so that, that was the mentality. And uh, I would just laugh. And so we were literally on the side courts training kids while these AAU tournaments were going on. People just didn't get it. They were just, you know, we'd have kids coming over and shooting on the basketball while I'm giving a lesson. And I'd have to, like, tell them nicely, like, hey, we're giving a lesson. Like, you can't shoot here. And then I'd have a father come over and want to fight me because I kicked their daughter off the court type thing, you know. And, uh, right. you know, but what ended up happening was, like, these kids that weren't very good or coordinated uh, started getting better and the people that were coming back you know to see you know their kid play would be looking on the side basket and be like damn that kid a few months ago wasn't looking like this so we started getting real players shortly thereafter and you know guys like Wally Zerbiak who I grew up uh, playing with um, you know decided that he wanted me to work him out you know while he was in the pros and we got to work right away so you know it started like that for me, just kind of organically, word of mouth. Um, and when I came back, I, I was able to use my my degree in marketing and you know really start thinking about logo design and taglines, putting a website together, incorporating the business, uh, coming up with curriculum, you know, which you know people yeah. weren't doing. Uh, so that way, I could build up my my business with other trainers that I had you know worked with before. It was either players that I worked with or guys or, or ladies that you know I knew that you know could could teach and and basically had game. And, you know, we, we had the same terminology, same, same schemes in place. And, you know, everybody taught with their own style, but we were, we were part of one unit. And that, that was the coolest thing for me is being able to establish that culture, you know, at that point in time and, you know, started Pro Hoops in 2004 and did that for 10 years. And it's still around. Still around. Yeah, the guys, the Burns brothers are still doing a great job, Ross and Tim. And uh, they got a great crew, you know, just uh, right. Nate, Nate Brown's over there now. He's working with Tobias Harris and they, they've got Kemba, JJ Reddick and a host of other guys. So uh, really fortunate to, you know, be a part of that with, with those people and uh, the way they've, they've done, you know, the work since then has been phenomenal. 
there's a lot to unpack there. So let me ask you this. You know a lot more now after all your training than you did yeah. when you were a kid. I mean, I was a guy who liked to be in the gym. What have you learned? Would you have done differently if you knew then what you know now in terms of skill development? Yeah, a few things. You know, as, as I started to grow in the development and, and started getting guys that were, you know, playing college basketball or, you know, started to uh, uh, become pros themselves, um, you know, I would have liked to, I should have, you know, asked who they were working with in college or working with in the pros. It would have definitely helped me become a better trainer at that point in time in terms of, like, what is it that they see in this player? You know, no, I meant, I meant your basketball career, you as a player. What oh, me as a player. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Uh, for me, you know, again, I, I think uh, we didn't really have uh, that much in terms of like people that we can go to, you know, so right. I would have loved to like start strength and conditioning a lot earlier. Right. You know, I really feel like that would have been huge for me. I was never a guy that could dunk in a game. Um, you know, I actually had like one or two scholarships pulled because they saw me play and they asked my coach, can he dunk? And he said, no, it was really weird. What you know? kind of coaches were these? That's weird. Kind yeah, of. super weird. You know, so like <laughs> my thing and at that point in time, you know, all the skills, like I always tried to eliminate baby fat in my game to get my shot off quicker. And I felt like I had to be tougher, more conditioned and better skilled than, than most because of the lack of athleticism. Um, and I think that helped me as a trainer, you know, transition for sure. But I think strength conditioning would have been something, you know, for me. I realized that as I got to the higher levels and I felt like I could compete with anybody, but um, that's the separating factor is the athletic athleticism, you know, when you're for sure. when a younger player asks me, uh, you know, when they say I'm always working on my game like, when they ask me that, but it's not really translating. My yeah. answer usually to them is it's probably either you're not playing your sport enough. you got to keep up with your strength and conditioning. Cause yeah. I mean, you could have all the skills in the world, but if you're not at a point athletically, it's not going to show. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think, uh, you know, being able to, to marry those things, you know, and understand how, one helps the other. And, you know, that's why we always have constant communication with our, you know, strength and conditioning staff or athletic trainers to understand, you know, what's happening with the players and, and how we can help that help serve them either on the court or off the court. But um, yeah, for me, it would probably be more of that. I mean, I, I lived in the gym and, you know, I just, it just wasn't one of the resources that we had today. You know, I, I definitely would have had a trainer. I always said I would have loved to have somebody to work with that, you know, I can, compete against and play one-on-one -on -one or, you know, and learn some new techniques on a consistent basis. I would have ate that up. Uh, but everything that we did at that point in time was just playing pickup. And then, you know, I would see moves and then try to emulate them, you know, and see right. what would work for me. And I would do that for hours. Jay, I'm a New York City guy. So I had to ask you this. Did you have a chip on your shoulder because you were a Long Island guy? Back then, you weren't posting on social media. So everybody from the city couldn't see you play. It was kind of an unknown for New York City guys. And New York City guys, we always feel we're the best. So did, yeah. you, have, did you have that chip on your shoulder? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, again, it goes from playing days to, to, to training. You know, I always felt like you know, the respect wasn't there for, for a Long Island guy, right? And so right. You know, anytime we got a chance to play at IS8 or you know, upper development, you know, league and, and go to the Bronx or, you know, any, any of the big tournaments that you got to play in at that point in time, you know, it's all about, you know, I want to represent, you know, I want to go out here and show that I belong. So uh, I think that always carried over. I think it carried over, you know, obviously the training because it was like, what, what is he doing out there? You know, like what, what do they have going in Long Island that we don't have here in Queens or Brooklyn or whatever. Right. And, right. Right. Uh, I always took pride in that. Like, yeah, we're, we're doing some good things here. And obviously, there's, there's talent everywhere, you know, and there was definitely some, some good talent coming out of the island that just uh, didn't always get recognized, you know. So, uh, yeah, I was, I, you know, for me, it was just more about trying to compete and be the best. You know, it, it wasn't so much like I'm from here and I've got to show all these guys, but we definitely 
when I played the Archbishop Malloy's and, you know, uh, right. Christ the Kings and those, like, you want them to know, like, this, you know, this is not going to be a, a cakewalk. Jay, what's it like working for Michael Jordan? Uh, I mean, it's incredible. Obviously, you have, you know, to me, the, the best player of all time, you know, there and, uh, you know, overseeing things. So, you know, he's just a, he's a great competitor. Just, just, you know, he's all about, you know, guys doing the right things. And, you know, I think uh, he lets us work. I think that's the other thing about him. I think you, you would think that he'd be micromanaging everything, but uh, he does a phenomenal job of just, you know, letting coach do his thing. And, you know, he shows up, you know, he's around, you can almost like, feel his presence you know it's like hey he's, he's in town he ever come shoot around a little bit or not he has yeah he's okay. got, he's, yeah in the past he's come and shoot around shot around and you know got into some stuff played some ones you know at like okay you know, i got there so he's done some stuff like that you know which is pretty cool and you know while i was working out the first time that i actually got to see him in person he was on the second level overlooking the court and i'm just putting one of our guys through a workout and uh he's you know he says something and i look up and i'm like Oh, you know, like yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan, you know, it's just like anything. It's like, I wasn't expecting to see him. I was like, Hey boss, how you doing? You know? And it was pretty cool. And you know, the player, I remember at the time asked him a question about like conditioning and, you know, one of the shooting drills we were doing, we we're doing like a Chris Mullen shooting drill, uh, full court drill, but you know, the guy was by himself. So he's like, did you do, used to do stuff like this? He's like around this time. He's like, yeah, I used to do a lot of conditioning, but it was a lot more up and down playing, you know, it wasn't right. Have like guys just working us out one-on-one -on, -one on court like this. So he said, we're like, what you're doing right now is probably harder than just playing because playing is fun. Right. So, right. Uh, so it was pretty cool to like have, have his input on that. And, you know, another, another great moment was having him in one of our film sessions and just being there. And I, I remember being, it was being so surreal because I didn't even know he was there when, when I sat down and all of a sudden he started talking and look over, I'm like, wow. You know, and just the knowledge that he was imparting in there, you know, everybody was like on pins and needles, just like, you know, what's he got to say next? And, you know, it's just, you know, when, whenever you have, like, greatness around you, you just try to soak up as much as you can. Right. Uh, Jay, you have a background in marketing and obviously a huge background in skill development. I was yeah. wondering why you chose the MBA route instead of going your own way with skill development. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I got that question, you know, from Jock Vaughn before he hired me. It was like, why the MBA now, right? Right. Uh, and there's a few, few reasons why. Uh, one, I did miss competing, you know, like – on that level where it's Gosh. like the, the, there's actually like a game involved that night where the stuff that I was doing was preparing players for a win or a loss, you know? So that's something that I missed from just having a private clients where it was all about just their individual performance. And I took a lot of pride in that obviously, but you know, I, I wasn't a part of like the wins and losses like coaches are. Um, so that was one aspect of it. Um, you know, Jay Wright offered me a position at Villanova uh, before I accepted the position with the magic and he got my brain thinking, you know, I, I turned it down at that point in time because I just didn't have an exit strategy, you know, and I felt like with my family, my wife was, was working for tenureship in New York, which is really hard to come by in education. Um, you know, and I had a bunch of trainers that were under my umbrella and I felt like I was leaving them high and dry. So I turned that down, but you know, he said like two prophetic things at that point that, that he wanted to win a title at Villanova, which I wasn't sure that was going to happen for him, you know, and then he said, like, you'll be in the NBA in a year or two. And at that point in time, same thing. I wasn't putting a resume out. I wasn't going to NBA Summer League. I wasn't networking, any of that. I was all about building my business and continuing that. Um, but when the NBA came and Jack Juan came, um, he was just awesome. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, if I tried to, to do this 100 times over, it, it wouldn't have happened this way with anybody else. Uh, he gave me the whole summer to, to just kind of close out my camps and my clinics. Like, he hired me and 
He's like, do what you got to do. We'll see you in September. And, um, you know, just on the strength of that, I was like, I got I have to give this a shot. You know, one of the reasons that I was also giving it a shot was like, if I can get in the NBA and do that for a year or two and I have that on my resume, I can come back to pro hoops and blow right. it out of the water. Like that was my mindset was from an entrepreneurial standpoint was like, there's no doctor degrees for basketball training, you know, and then obviously the competition, you know, what it is now and what, what it was getting to was like, all right, what's the difference between you and so-and-so? And a lot of times it becomes like what players you've worked with or whatever, but if they're talking about anything else, you know, it's like, Hey, well, I've also coached in the NBA and, you know, I had that experience, you know, and, and that would have helped me with my NBA business as well. So, um, you know, those were like the, the main factors for me, you know, but um, I wanted to give it a shot because I knew if I closed that window, or that door at that point in time, I might not ever get an opportunity again, you know? And so uh, I said, let me, let me give it a chance and, and see what it's like. And, you know, thankfully I did. Jay, tell me about your Muay Thai career. <laughs> That's a, it's funny how that, that one right there uh, gets people excited. Like even my players wise, you know, like it's, it's one of the like top two things that happens that people like want to talk about and, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I did three amateur fights um, in Muay Thai, you know, which is the art of eight limbs for people that don't know. Incorporate a lot of elbows and knees, right? Elbows, knees, punches yeah. and kicks, you know, okay. so uh, you got it all in there. And, you know, it's, for me, I've always loved boxing. I've always loved like the early UFCs I used to watch all the time. And the early UFCs were crazy because it would be like a sumo, a sumo wrestler versus like a guy yeah. with one with one boxing guy, glove. Guys were allowed to wear gees at that time. They didn't, right. you know, so they could choke you with their gi. It was it was incredible, like right. what was being done at that point in time. But I just always loved like combat, and and I was never a, a confrontational guy. You know, it wasn't. It's not my nature. Um, I don't like fighting, you know, so I, I've always been a talker. Like I could always talk my way out of like bad situations. So um, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, for me, I started doing cross training. And uh, when I was going to Puerto Rico, I started training with uh, Keith Tremble, who uh, has a host of like UFC and Bellator fighters now. And I uh, just started doing cardio kickboxing or, you know, mid work with him as well. And it was great. I loved it. And I loved how I felt after I was doing it. So when I was done with my playing career, I said, you know what, I, I missed the competition. And um, I started, again, following UFC. I love this, this guy, Anderson Silva, who was uh, the champion. Right, of course. He, yeah. um, his, his background was in Muay Thai, and he was so, like, badass. Like, he was just so tough and so stylistically awesome to watch. So I was like, I want to try that. So I found a gym in, in Valley Stream, uh, New York. Uh, went in there, and um, it was a real Muay Thai gym, you know, called Extreme. And then now it's Militia Fight Academy. And uh, started training within the first two weeks that I was there. They actually put me in, in the ring to spar a guy that was getting ready for a fight. And I almost wow. got knocked out on my feet. Um, you know, I lasted the two rounds. I got out and the guy was pretty funny. He's like, I knocked out the last three guys, man. You did all right. And <laughs> at that time, I was like, all right, I either got to ask for my money back or I got to, you know, kind of, you know, buckle up here and, and learn how to do this. So my big thing was like defense. Let me learn defensively how to, how to block kicks and all those kinds of things. And, you know, had good reflexes and, you know, had a pretty good eye for it. So, you know, I started doing that. And after a few years after that, I just got in a rut, you know, athletically. I felt like I was uh, out of shape. And I said, you know what, it'll get me in shape if I tell these guys I'm, I want to fight. Because if I do that, they're going to kick my butt every day, literally, you know, figuratively. So you weren't sure at that point if you were going to fight? Yeah, at that point in time, like, I was, I just joined it just to, you know, get to work. Right, I, I right. always wanted to learn how to, how to defend myself better. And, I, you know, I, I felt like that was probably one of the more, likely street styles, you know, in terms of like being able to defend yourself and, 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 you know, throw right. everything. Right. So eventually I was like, is this, it carries over to basketball. Is this false success? You know, am I making shots at half speed with no defense looking good? 
Right. Or, you know, am I hitting heavy bag looking great and grunting really loud and making people scared in the gym, but am I for real? You know, so I decided to do a fight, you know, got, got a fight in the Bronx and had a bunch of people had like over 50 or 60 friends come in and, and support me, lost 40 pounds, uh, you know, put my, myself through a really tough regimen. And, um, you know, that's why I said at, at that point I was in my 30s. You know, so I know when I'm working with 20 year olds and they're doing like half of what I was doing, you know, I can I can talk that 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 talk to them and say, hey, I, I did it as a basketball player, but I also did it later in life, you know, when I was getting ready for fights. So, you know, I had two TKOs and a unanimous decision win. You know, we fought the uh, last fight was no no gear, no no shin guards, no headgear. Wow. Um, over at World World Resort Casino in Queens, and um, really really cool show. And I've been around some great people there, and I learned a lot about myself. You know, in terms of like. I don't get angry when, when I get hit, you know, that's a big thing, you know, like I, I keep my composure and I think about how I got hit and what's next, you know, and that was a big deal. And I remember working with Jameer Nelson one summer and he was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And, and one of the things he was doing was boxing because he said he had a temper and, you know, he awesome. said, when you get hit in the face, you know, there's nothing that's going to get you angrier, you know, than, than getting smacked or hit in the face. And so he realized quickly that if he got wild with the guys that he was boxing with in Philly, that he was, he was going to get, you know, banged up pretty quick, pretty good if he was coming in wild. So, um, you know, keeping your composure, you know, and under duress, there's no time that you can rest at any point in time. Your mind is constantly engaged because at any point in time you can get hurt. It's really a, a fight or flight uh, situation. You know, you look across the ring and that guy has trained for the last three months to, to beat you up. So it was, it was kind of a crazy, crazy thing, but it was a cool thing. And, I ended up incorporating that with my last pre-draft class. I had them come to, to training sessions with me. Wow. Um, we did some fighter runs. We had, you know, Muay Thai uh, workouts with those guys, and they, they enjoyed the experience. You heard about Fighter Island? Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah I heard about it. <laughs> that, that's going to happen, right? I think so. Yeah, they're talking about it. So we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out, you know. But uh, yeah, Dana White is, is one of the best marketing guys out there and fight promoters, and the fact that uh, he yeah, was able definitely. to figure out, like, a place to actually, you know, get fights and, and host it and, and have an island is, is genius. Right. Jay, you have an incredible background in skill development, obviously. So I have to ask you this. Is there anything that bothers you or makes you cringe about the current state of skill development? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, at times it's tough because I know the competition has gotten a lot thicker than when I was around. So I think it's just the oversaturation of over promotion. Right. Just everything seems to be a big, big promotion and big editing job of, you know, like uh, movie style intros and things like that. And, you know, it's 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 where we are now. So I think it's, it's sometimes it's tough for me because when I when I came out, I really relied on like I still wanted to get promoted, you know, but I also wanted it done by others. So like if, if Draft Express was coming in, I loved that because they were going to shoot the video footage and they were going to put the content out for me. And then trainers would see some of the stuff that I was doing, but they were like a year behind, you know, they were like, Oh, right, what is right. real? and they didn't really know the progression and things. Imagine like that. Imagine you had an Instagram account back then. What's that? Imagine oh, you had it. I know. I think, I don't even know if that was the thing. I think it was like YouTube was out and uh, okay. Twitter, Twitter. And I think it was like the early stages maybe, but. Right. If, well, if there was Instagram, it'd be crazy if you had one. Cause yeah. yeah it would you know, so like it would have it been cool. I think, I think it was a very early stages of Instagram for me where, um, I think it was like, yeah, the last draft class that I had, I was like, uh, you know, seven years ago, actually, with, uh, or six years ago. Um, so, yeah, I still had some stuff, a little bit of content. If you look back at my Instagram, like all the way back, there, there might be some stuff in there, but it was like more photos, not, not really drills or like uh, reposts of like stuff that was out there. So wow, my big okay. thing was like, if I have a business, you know, why would I give away my trade secrets to 
other guys that run businesses, right? And again, for me at that point, there weren't that many trainers. There were a couple of good ones that were coming up. Right. So I didn't want anybody being like, well, I saw what he does and he's trash. Or um, they saw what I did, he's trash, but they're actually using all my drills to teach their players, you know, stuff that I came up with for, you know, years prior that I was doing with my guys, give them an advantage, and then they were using it with their guys, you know. So for me, it was more of like gaining the competitive advantage, the guys that are coming in here. Uh, I was trying to compete at that time with like Abunasar and like IMG Academy, you know, things like that where you know, I was like, hey, if we're going against attack, attack athletics, you know, I want my guys to have right. the advantage and we're going to go toe-to-toe with those guys in pre-draft. And I was treated pre-draft like a fight. I was like, you guys are going in to compete against these guys one-on-one for a million-dollar contract, you know. And right, it was right. a very, very unique experience to, to kind of get yourself in that mindset, you know, after all those years of playing a team sport and, you know, doing, doing things the way you've been doing. And now it's like, Hey, it's all about you, you know? So, uh, yeah. So for me, it's just, you know, that's, that's the hard part because I, I always think to myself, like, how would I be in this new world of, of training? You know, would I be doing a lot of it? How would I be doing it? You know, things of that nature. Cause I do think you have to adapt, you know, to the current times as well. It's just a matter of how you're presenting yourself, I think is a big key. Do you think it's going to be really tough for teams this year? I mean, you've been part of the NBA draft process with a bunch of different players. Um, the process will be totally different now. Do you feel like this will be a, a real hard time for teams when evaluating talent? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's hard when you don't get to talk to them and, and be with them. I think uh, scouts and management are used to doing things, you know, this way for so many years. But, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, when you have great scouts and great management team that sees these guys consistently throughout the year, uh, they do a lot right. of intel and background on these guys. Um, you know, I think that's just kind of like the icing on the cake to just have them in and be able to talk to them. But I think at the end of the day, when you see guys and, and see them playing and competing at a high level with their team and how they interact with their coach and their teammates, I think that's, that's gotta be like 90% of it, you know? Um, so I think if, I think guys can still make really good decisions, you know, based on just the merit of, of how they played and, and the, the knowledge base that they've gained over the years. And, you know, again, I, I know they do their due diligence with, you know, talking to everybody who's ever been in their inner circle, you know, teachers and, you know, barbers and AAU coaches and all that. So right. uh, I still think that uh, all these guys are going to make really good decisions. They'll, they'll have a chance to, um, hopefully see them at some point, you know, obviously I, I think they pushed it back now, you know, and it's just, it's the trickle down effect that I always think about is like, how's that going to affect my, my buddies who are in college, you know, when they have a guy that's borderline an NBA right. guy, you know, you're not going to have to draft now until September. You know? And they didn't have March madness. Right. For some of those guys. Yeah. My, you know, all those, you know, especially like my guys at Hofstra made it this year after a 20 year, high, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, like the last time, they, last time we made it was my last year with Jay Wright. So to see those guys, do that and um, you know like I said I have a lot of friends that actually made it this year Uh, you know it's hard and obviously you go into the Olympics and summer league and all the things where people get to network and get to hang out and you know get to experience an opportunity to be a head coach like I did a few years back you know there's a lot of stuff that guys are missing out on right now but you know at the end of the day you know I have friends that are you know losing their businesses and people yeah, man. sick and my brother-in-law was was really sick and luckily he pulled through and you know people are dealing with a lot of stuff so it's, it's hard to really complain you know about you know current circumstances for us but right you know, I definitely feel like from uh from a playing standpoint and things like that you know having some clarity is going to be great for our guys it'll be great for the league and I think fans you know regardless if there's fans in games or not I think they're going to want to see the best you know still competing right glad your brother-in-law is okay um appreciate you you mentioned Jay Wright. Um, what did you learn about leadership from Jay? 
Yeah, the, the biggest thing from Jay was like, you have to be you, authentically you. And, um, you know, obviously uh, I, was, I started in backcourt with Speedy, you know, and uh, the year that Speedy got drafted in the lottery, uh, you know, I, I was going to take over the helm at point guard full time. And the biggest thing he said is you're not Speedy, you're, you know, you're Jay. And, uh, you know, that's going to be good enough for us. You got to, you know, just go to play to your strengths and figure out how that's going to work for who we are. And that, that was the biggest thing. I mean, I take that with me in everything that I do. You know, it's like there's going to be people on different staffs that, that I look at and be like, they're amazing in these areas, you know. And, uh, you know, but I also have to figure out, like, I want to keep improving. I want to have that growth mindset. But I also have to continue to be who I am, um, continue to, you know, play to my strengths while, you know, developing my weaknesses just like you do on the basketball court. So um, that was the biggest thing, you know, and, and his the way he communicated and the way he got people to buy into their roles, you know, by just being honest and discussing what the overall plan was. Um, Communication. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was anybody better. And he, as a, as a captain for him for two years, I mean, you know, he, he really wanted us to take ownership, you know, over things. And he communicated, you know, where he saw that we were failing, you know, as leaders for our team, you know, and there would be times where, you know, maybe a walk-on got in the game late and didn't dive on the floor, you know, he would be cursing me out. You know what I mean? Like we'd be up, we'd be up 18, 20 and be like, your, your knees, your hips, everything's scraped up and you got us to the point where we're going to win this game and you're going to allow him to go out there and coast. Like, that's not what we're about, you know? And, and I remember that clear as day and, you know, by, by senior years, like, you know, our pickup games, like we were holding each other accountable in pickup games. Like, you know, one of right. our bigs was trying to bring up the ball and go behind the back and, you know, like get crazy and throw a pass, one-handed pass that went out of bounds. Like we right. were going to it. You know, that was, the, that was the mentality. Like, yo, that's not what you do. And they would be pissed and they would go back and forth at us and be like, all right, watch, you know, like. That's, that's creating not- a culture right there. Creating a culture. And it's all about standards, right? Like you're, yeah. you know, if, whatever you allow – you know, you'll receive, right? So like, if right. you allow like certain things, you're going to, you're going to receive that from your players. So, you know, like coach had standards and then the standards, you know, were bought in by the players. And when we saw that success, you know, we had ownership over the way things were done and those standards, those principles every year were the same, like everything else could have changed, like the process of how we did things in the night before a game or the way we practiced, but every year the principles were the same. And, and, and that's what I loved about coach was, you know, he kept saying, like, you guys, we have the same guys coming back, but you're all different. Like, you know, like, I'm different. Like, we're all different. Like, you know, like, and the same thing at the NBA level. Like, every year we might have the same guys with a, one or two guys coming in. Right. But, you know, like, it might be a contract year. Like, somebody might have had a kid. You know, like, all these things are happening where people evolve and people change. So you can't assume that the things that you did last year, you know, and the way you motivated, the way you taught or whatever is going to resonate with everybody the same, even with the same people. Jay Hernandez, Charlotte Hornets, you're always welcome back on the show. Thank you for being here. Um, where can we find you on social media? I appreciate that, man. Uh, you can find me at, at Coach Jay Hernandez on uh, Instagram, uh, at Coach J-H-J-A-Y-H on Twitter. And, uh, you know, definitely trying to put out content. You know, I, I don't do as good a job as you. I try to do some IG lives, uh, <laughs> you know, compassionate, I respect it. And it's a lot of work. I did it for a month, and I said, all right, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm done now, you know, so – uh, props to you for for the great content and, and the people that Thanks. you've on here. And uh, you know, I really, really do appreciate you having me, you know, part of this. Jay, you're always welcome back on the show. And I appreciate them and I appreciate your support. Yeah, thank you very much. All the best with, with the rest of the pandemic and uh, look yes, forward sir. to seeing who you got next for sure. Yes, sir. Stay safe. Talk soon. Thanks, right. Jay. Take care. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. 
big shouts to Jay for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. I would greatly appreciate it. Be on the lookout for episode 163. Combo out.